from Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 33. Today is Tuesday, March 31st, 2015. Connected is brought to you by these awesome sponsors. Lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts. Screens, which is a great family of applications that allows you to access your computers from wherever you are. And Wealthfront, the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. Uh, I'm not Mike Hurley, uh, but I'm your co-host, uh, Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined uh, across the world, standing at six foot one, hailing from Rome, Italy, Mr. Federico Vitici. Hey, Stephen. Hey. It's, Hi. Uh, it's like deep in basketball season here, so I thought I'd go for like a height and where you're from, like they do for mm-hmm. basketball games. The problem is I don't know how tall our guest is, who is uh, just, uh, just a, one state away from me. Uh, I'm going to say that David is uh, six foot tall and uh, hails from the, the town of Underscore. Is that, that's close. That's pretty close. Right. That's pretty close. How are you doing, David? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, we're glad to, uh, glad to have you. So, uh, so Mike's at the, uh, at the Ool conference. He's not dead. We're not going to make that joke today, probably. Um, he's at a conference. So, uh, David, you were very gracious uh, to step in. And uh, we have uh, a lot of things to talk about today. Um, so I'd say that we're just going to jump, jump right in. And, and Federico, the follow-up is basically all, all your fault this week. What did I do? Your uh, wireless, needing to turn <laughs> the wireless off at night, has spawned more email than almost anything we've talked about in the two years we've done a show together. Like, it just, it won't stop. So <laughs> uh, lots of emails came in. We're only going to talk about a few of them. Um, uh the first one is from listener Diggory, uh, and, and Diggory suggests a second wireless network to have Wi-Fi separate from the DSL router, so you can put the Wemo in between. So basically, you could leave the internet on all the time, so the we, the uh, the Wemo switch can talk to the internet, so you can turn it off and on over LTE, and then the wireless would be downstream of that, so you could turn the wireless on and off, but leave the internet always on, which is a... Uh, just complicated enough to really make not me lo- sure love it. I'm following. <laughs> well, dude. Okay, what am I supposed to do here? So, is your is the wireless coming out of the same? Uh, yes. From the, okay. So, what you would do is you would buy like an Airport Extreme or something. And oh, I need to buy stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Mike can buy for you, and you put you plug that into the Wemo, right? And the, so the 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 Wemo goes on and off. So, like, if imagine. The Wemo yeah, being yeah. The, the bridge, right? So you, the bridge goes up, it closes, and the wireless doesn't work anymore. But the Wemo is still attached on the other end to internet. It's pretty brilliant. I like that it has a lot of moving pieces. It's a little Rube Goldberg, but uh, I think it's pretty pretty clever. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, uh, Ted's suggestion is much simpler. Uh, Federico, do you want to ex- to uh, to describe this, this Amazon link uh, for our listeners? Yes. I, I first opened this link last night, and I couldn't quite figure out what was going on. So this is an extension cord with uh, with a foot switch. And basically, there's like an American cable, because I can tell from the plug. And there's like a little capsule in the middle. And you're supposed to like, you know, press this little switch with your foot. And I'm guessing that it cuts off, you know, the power. And now I'm not sure, am I supposed to keep this under my... You know, just under my bed, and then when I want to, you know, turn off my Wi-Fi, I just press this uh, (laughs) foot switch before sleeping. My thought was you put it under your pillow, and so when Uh, your head hits the pillow, and it probably won't cause any fires when you sleep. I think that's the way to do it. Or maybe just, you know, maybe I can just activate it with my hand, keep it on my nightstand, and when I go to sleep, I just, uh, you know, and and the Wi-Fi goes off. I don't know. It's an idea. (laughs) It is an idea. (laughs) It's an idea. It's another idea. It's another uh, we, idea. We also received uh, Stephen a suggestion for an app to use. Uh, a, lo- a lot of people I, I know email emailed you correctly because I, you know, I always tell people to send emails to to Stephen, which is you know the right way to send feedback. Um, so there's a Netgear app for iOS. Yeah, I didn't know this, and it looks horrible. It's like, pretty bad. <laughs> It is the kind of Netgear app that you would expect Forstall to design. It's not even and taller. It's like iPhone 4 size still. There's black bars in the screenshot <laughs> on top and <laughs> at the bottom. 
and there's a there's a bunch of uh, I'm guessing icons um, that looks like icons from Windows, um, and you can you know access parental controls, wireless settings, guest access, my media, which I'm not sure what you're supposed to do with this. And there's folders you can you know you can browse your media server. Yeah. Um, it looks. Uh, thanks for you know the recommendation. I mean, there's also the rotation lock in the in the status bar. And, and yeah. one thing that really bothers me is that the battery goes. You know, if you take a look at the screenshot, uh, you could tell that this guy was going through you know a serious process because the battery goes thirty five percent, thirty six, thirty seven, thirty eight. So he took a lot of screenshots, uh, this person. Yeah. The, uh, the so screenshots are also from iOS 6. <laughs> because it, yeah. it doesn't have the dots in the top left. Oh, it yeah. Have the dots. Yeah, yeah, look how weird those lines look now. I actually really hated the dots when iOS 7 came out, but now I've come to appreciate them looking back on the screenshot. But do people, do people say, like, I have three dots? Because I still hear people saying, of course, in Italian... Uh, I still have three bars. I hear so the they same. still call them bars, but it's dots. Right. I hear the same thing. It's uh, it's something that's really tearing society apart. I think. So <laughs> the the next uh, the next bit of feedback, I actually put a dropper link in the show notes. Uh, basically, just copying Dan's email for the world to read. So sorry, Dan. Um, but he basically wrote this this email saying that you could script this sort of stuff, which of course Federico is right up your alley. Um, I didn't really kind of get what he was, you know, I didn't pick up what he was laying down here, but do you have some ideas on how you could somehow script your Wi-Fi to turn on and turn off at night? Yeah, I could use Python to basically interact with my local Wi-Fi IP address. Um, There's a couple of modules or, you know, on Pythonista that you could install or maybe even have already in the app. Um, I could, I guess I could put together some, you know, some workarounds to mess around with my with my Wi-Fi. I just don't want to because I, I know that I would break things somehow. And, you know, I would rather just have a local timer. Again, just give me a local timer on the Wemo. Uh, I, I'm sort of giving up on turning off my Wi-Fi. So I needed to, to explain my girlfriend our problem. And so I'm just, again, thanks for all the feedback, but I'm just giving up. Because there's no, like, the, the kind of solution that I want is not possible right now with the Wemo, which, I, by the way, I'm using, I'm still using with my espresso machine. And today I was just driving home and I was, uh, I was at a, you know, uh, in my car and I just pressed the, the Wemo icon and, like, the button to turn on the switch. And when I walked into my apartment, uh, I just went into the kitchen, made some espresso. And it was amazing. I mean, it's always amazing when I walk into my my home house and you know the espresso machine is ready. Right. So cool. A but robot. The, robot. The bubble. Wi-Fi. Yeah. The Wi-Fi. I'm 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 giving up on the Wi-Fi. I think that's probably probably for the best. Um. So we also spoke about teletext, and Ned points us to I guess it's Mintel. Is that how you pronounce that, Federico or David? Mintel. Mintel. It's like it's like Intel with Mint. That's that's what I thought, but it's French, so maybe it's. Oh, maybe it's Mintel. Min. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure how I can do it. I French, never. I never French studied accent. French. David. De- what? Did David. You ever, <laughs> David, do you know French? Nope, just Spanish. Only that mm. barely. Yeah, that's that's how I am. So this was a. Um, another online service available through telephone lines, and it was primarily uh, uh, pro. Oh, it's, it's not like Minitel; a- it's Minitel. Minitel. Uh, so basically, it it required a terminal. So there's a Wikipedia page. Like, look at this hardware. This thing is. <laughs> I knew it. Not good looking. I mean, it's it's. I want one, but it's not good looking. Of course um, you. Of course you do. But uh, so it's pretty cool. You should check out the Wikipedia article. Um. Federico, if someone wanted to find this link and the other links we've discussed, where would they where would they go? They can go to page uh, thirty three of their teletext. Done. <laughs> Just press three three on the on the TV remote, <laughs> and you will be taken to the show notes in yeah. in the glorious interface of the teletext. Yeah. Or if you're you know a little more old fashioned, you could go to relay.fm slash connected slash thirty three. Awesome. Um, so we ha- we have an announcement before we we move out of follow up. 
we have uh, connector shirts for sale uh, over on Teespring. And uh, it's uh, it plays on the joke of I've been beta testing things for a couple weeks. Uh, glorious artwork by our friend uh, Forgotten Towel, who does all the artwork here at Relay, all the show art and the web design and all that stuff comes out of out of his brain. And he was uh, very kind to do a shirt for us. You should definitely go check it out. Um, you've got until April 12th uh, to order. Uh, so another 12 days or so uh, from recording. We'll be reminding you again. We would definitely love if you guys would... Uh, Check that out. It helps us uh, helps us do our thing, and uh, you get to look uh, super handsome or, or super beautiful all at the same time. It's it's a win win, as they say. Yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. If you don't buy a t shirt, you will never receive new episodes again. Wow, so it's in your it's in your best interest. We can't, to can't buy t shirts. I can't enforce that. <laughs> but you will look good. Uh, some really nice colors, uh, men's and women's cut. So I definitely go check them out. Uh, guys, we should take a break. Okay. And thank our friends at lynda.com. You guys know Lynda. Uh, they're the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, or creative skills. Uh, lynda.com is for problem solvers, the curious, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel or learn negotiation tactics, build a website, learn how to podcast or edit video or Boost your Photoshop skills. You can go to lynda.com uh, to feed your curious mind. It's a great way if you're interested in something and want to hone your skills or, or you know, maybe you've just heard about something like like programming, like Swift. Like, what is Swift? Well, how do I get my feet wet? lynda.com is a great way to do that. Um, with memberships, you get to watch and learn from top experts who are passionate about teaching. These videos are professionally done by experts in the field. It's not low quality. It is it is excellent. It is timely. They even have people from companies like Adobe help them with their lessons, so it's always up to date. Um, you can structure your courses. You can do them at your own pace. You can do them on your computer, your iOS device, or anything in between. It's really great. Um, and one thing I really love is that you can uh, browse a course transcript to follow along. So you can have the video and then have the transcript kind of side by side and, and learn both ways. Maybe if you're like me, you know, you, you can read faster than you can watch a video. So it's, it's really multifaceted. Uh, we want you to go check them out uh, for a free day, free 10 day trial. Visit lynda.com slash connected. That's L Y N D a.com slash connected. We'd like to thank those guys for sponsoring uh, this show and all of relay FM. So guys, uh, Uncle Tim's been in the news. I would say last couple of days. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you guys see this uh, this article in Fortune about 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 him? It's kind of like a like a mini profile. Yeah, it's um, the the one about his you know giving away uh, all his money <laughs> before he dies. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Quite awesome. Uh, I didn't know he had a nephew, and because uh, this is the article when they. Uh, you know, they say he's giving away all his wealth and also paying for his nephew's tuition college, right? Yeah, which is, uh, I kind of like the, the, the contrast there. Like, oh, I'm putting my nephew through college and then I'm going to give all the rest of my money away. <laughs> yeah. As, as though, mean, of course, the, it's a pretty expensive college if that's a significant amount. Compared. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm going to go to a state technical school. No, I'd imagine his nephew's going someplace expensive. But... um. The the article is really interesting too. They they obviously talk about that, and that's sort of the big subject. But they also talk a sort of compare and contrast uh, Tim Cook and Steve Jobs. And we're going to talk, I think, next week about the Becoming Steve Jobs book. But the the Fortune writer uh, really tried to like paint this picture of you know Jobs is always moving forward, and like Cook's Apple sometimes leaves things behind. And but then they have like a quote from Tim saying, "If you don't break away with the past, you can never move forward." And um, I thought it was really interesting to like compare and contrast the, the two leaders and, and not clearly they're very different, right? Like Tim is out there in the world in a way that Steve Jobs wasn't and didn't want to be. Um, but, but I, for one really like if, if you didn't like Tim Cook before this article and you like, there's no way you can't like, not like him now. Right. Like he's just, he's awesome. I totally agree, but there's people who don't like him, which is, Interesting, you know, because there's people who say he's mixing the business with his own beliefs, you know, with his own ideas about uh, politics and religion. And there's people, who, especially I'm guessing, especially in America, uh, who don't like this, you know, way of doing things. 
And instead, from my, again, I'm just guessing that things are different. Um, but from my European perspective, I think this guy is doing, you know, gr really great stuff because he's leading one of the biggest, if not the biggest company in the world. And he's using this kind of position, you know, this influence to, um, you know, to make meaningful changes that are not just, you know, bug fixes and performance improvements. <laughs> uh, it's actually stuff that matters. Right. And I, I mean, it's, again, like you said, it, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, right. I agree. So yeah, so you're referring uh, sort of the, also to this Washington Post uh, op-ed that uh, Tim Tim Cook wrote about um, some legislation that's gone on here um, that you know can can open the door for discrimination best uh, based on sexual orientation and, and some other things and um uh it so he basically is saying like this is dangerous and I definitely agree with him and there's definitely like conflict I think in parts of the country about this. Um, it's insane. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I yeah. don't know. Again, not the politics show, but but it's insane. Yeah, and wow. it's it. I, I'm always struck when I read things that that Tim Cook writes, and you know, clearly they're edited and polished or whatnot. But it's so concise and so well written. You know, like like his letter where he came out. Uh, I guess that was the end of last year, and then and then this this essay in the Washington Post, just really well written, really well said. Um, and I don't know about I don't know about the two of you, but I definitely like read Tim Cook and I hear him in his voice. Do you guys do that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And um, I also see his face. <laughs> wow. At this point, yeah, yeah. because you know, <laughs> I know well, I did, know yeah. what he's like. So yeah. I just pictured the guy talking to me, yeah. reading his. I <laughs> I definitely did that in the Becoming Steve Jobs book. The, at the end, Tim Cook has some Tim Cook has some quotes, and I definitely read them in my head in his voice, like. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's of course easy for me because he's he is originally from uh he's from georgia or alabama somewhere not not far from me so uh, it's not hard for me to like uh, imagine a southern accent yeah sometimes he does say words like you do yeah i i noticed this like I, i'm not sure what the terminology is but he has some kind of you know the, the vocals at the end of some words they're like different from you know standard english or American English, I guess. Otherwise, Mike gets yeah. upset if I'm calling it standard. Although I will say Mike sounds more American than ever. And sometimes... I, but Mike used to sound more American. Well, Mike... <laughs> he's alive. <laughs> um, he, uh, But Mike sometimes says things like me. And like then I, f I feel really guilty about that. It's like, <laughs> oh, no. Because like, he and I, as you might imagine, talk a lot off the air. Uh, some weeks, as much or more than we talk on the air together. So it's... I definitely have that influence on him, and that's no good for anyone, really. <laughs> Not oh, good God. at all. Um, so we're going to get in, into the uh, into the watch stuff, um, but uh, before we do that, I want to talk about about screens. Uh, this episode of Connected is brought to you by Screens, which is uh, a beautiful, powerful screen sharing client for OS X and iOS that lets you connect back to your computer from the comfort of your living room, the corner coffee shop, or anywhere in the world. It's really simple and easy to use. I've used screens for years. It's so uh, just, it works so much better than what, what OS X does by default. You can send and receive images, URLs, plain text, rich text, and so much more with the remote Macs via clipboard sharing. So I can copy something here and paste it on the live streaming server for Relay, and it all just works really seamlessly. Uh, you can connect as a registered user or as a guest to a Mac. So you can help out a friend or relative without the need of their user credentials, which is really nice. Um, it makes everyone feel more secure. And if you're if you disconnect from a computer, you can even send on disconnect actions like logging out, trigger a hot corner, etc. Screens also supports multiple displays, allowing you to access what you need no matter what display it's on. A lot of these tools are just limited to the primary display. But, you know, with, with a lot of people having more complicated setup, screens uh, adapts to that very easily. It's available on the iOS and Mac app stores. Like I said, I've used this for years. I use it to manage the Relay FM, the Mac Mini server we have at Mac Mini Colo. Uh, we have a, a Mac Mini hooked up to our television at home. I remote into that from the office and do things and take care of issues. And it's all just really straightforward. And the best part is Screens is on sale this week, 30% off the regular price. Uh, on iOS, it's usually 20 bucks. This week it's $14.99, and on the Mac, just $20.99. Uh, the sale ends May 10th, so go to the App Store now, or go to ScreensApp.com to find out more. Thank you so much to Screens for sponsoring this week's episode of Connected. I love tools that work well, you know? It's just so great to have them on board. 
So, underscore. Yes. You uh, you agreed a couple of days ago to come on, uh, and my thought was we could talk about like Apple Watch apps beginning to show up. Uh, so like Evernote and you know a bunch of others had like an update and says hey you know this compl- this includes support for Apple Watch. Um, and then <laughs> today, right, like an hour ago, Apple said developers you can submit your 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 watch apps. Um, so hey, I'm a I'm a little confused between those two things. Like I guess people were submitting just the iOS parts and not the watch code. But anyways, we have lots of questions for you. Um, but uh, but I kind of wanted to start um, sort of broadly. Um, there's this this uh, website that I'm sure you guys have seen called uh, uh, Watch Aware. Yeah, Watch Aware. And uh, developers are submitting apps to this, or this site is going out and finding them and coming up with basically a, a, a laundry list of, of watch apps. Uh, have you guys looked through this? Like, do you have any thoughts on kind of what people are doing before we get into what Underscore is doing? Well, I think, at least initially, now, again, this is the reason why we have David today. But initially, we're going to see, based on these interactive demos and screenshots on this website, we're going to see a lot of similar apps, meaning that most of these apps, you know, use standard interface elements and, you know, they, they all have like the same basic structure uh, and layouts. And I think it, it's, I mean, it makes sense and it's obvious because, you know, developers wanna, are still learning. I mean, nobody knows what using a watch every day is like. And the simulator, of course, is no... Uh, replacement for an actual watch so most developers are playing it safe and you know going with the with the with the apple guidelines and making apps that you know respect these guidelines and my my main i wouldn't say concern but you know curiosity uh, would be to see are these apps actually going to be useful on a daily basis um because you know there's many limitations in watchkit which, again, I want to ask David about. But looking at these demos, um, I don't want to say that, you know, all these apps are going to be useless. Uh, but I'm curious if, you know, there's going to be too much similarity between, between apps or too little differentiation, maybe. Uh, David. Yes. Let me, let me ask you. In building, so you have this awesome series on your blog as a, called As I Learn Watch Kit. Yeah. And in building, I don't know how many, like 20 or 30 watch apps, you're, you have a, a full catalog of watch apps, basically. I do. Uh, in building watch apps, has it been a struggle for you to find ways to be original, to, you know, to, to take an iPhone app and to, you know, cut it down to an essential group of features that make sense on a watch? I think there are two, there's two kinds of originality that are probably worth talking about separately. So the visual and sort of aesthetic similarities between WatchKit apps um, are in some ways coming from the way that WatchKit itself is structured and how mm-hmm. constrained it is and how geared towards building, you know, there's only a, a certain number of UI elements that you can use, period, for building your applications. And we're all building with those same tools. And sort of like, you know, Apple gave us six crayons, and those are the only crayons we can use to draw our pictures. And so a lot of our pictures are going to have similarities to them. And so in that side, there's all, there, that, that side is a bit trickier to get out of. I think the distinctiveness that you can get in terms of uh, the functionality, I think that, that that's much easier in the sense because every you know every app has a different purpose and a different usefulness. And while many of the there are certain types of apps that I think apply you know lend themselves very strongly to being on the watch, you know things where it makes sense to have something that you only look at for a few seconds or that is made more useful by being kind of always available to you. Like there's only so many things that that falls into. But at least from my experience, I think that there's a lot of, you know, every, almost every app that I have has when I, you know, if I think about it and I try and boil it down, there is some experience that would be made better by being, by residing on a watch. And the hard part is just finding that thing and working, you know, and which is tricky, obviously, because we don't have them yet, but trying to think through what, 
what would I what would I want to be able to access all the time? What would be the experience that is made better by doing that? Um, and I'm sure we're going to find that we're going to have a bunch of apps that you know get launched on day one, and I'm sure some of mine will fall into this category that in reality don't end up being as useful as our sort of our developer imaginations think they might be. Um, and then we'll go through a process over the next few months of you know refining that, changing that, and you know honing in on what is actually going to be useful. Um, but that's I think the process by which we're sort of trying to work out how to f- how each developer is just having to sort of find their own uh, home in the watched landscape. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and back in up a second about the visual consistency. Um, I think part of that is is good. You know, I think. If you think back to the original iPhone, um, you know Apple's bundled apps before the the App Store. You know, there was a there was a shared design language. Yes, there were outliers, but a lot of things you know looked and felt the same way. And I think that helped sort of guide the users. Like, hey, I haven't used this particular app before, but I know what this button, this type of button does. I think there's a value to that with the watch, um, and, and you know maybe. Maybe it's WatchKit holding holding people back, and maybe the SDK SDK comes out. There'll be you know more options available to developers in terms of visual design. I think the other part of it is too. There was a there was a a post by Craig Hockenberry the other day about the 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 actual display of the the watch itself um, being uh, an OLED display. Mm-hmm. Which, which basically, you know, they they they've done that because the blacks are really deep, and you know all the pictures you've seen of the watch and the the black screen. You, it's kind of hard to tell where the LCD ends and the glass begins, and it's much more sort of uh, fluid experience from you know component to component. But there are trade offs there. I would definitely recommend this article. But you know, you look at these screenshots, and everything is very you know based, you know black background, white text, and you use your color for the information. Uh, and you know, there's going to be strengths to that. And I think people who go real far outside of that, I wonder how well they would do, you know, if everyone else kind of stays within the same language. Yeah. And I think what you said, though, there's also a, a significant part that is the training advantage or like there's a it's a different platform and while people are used to doing things on ios you know when we had the ipad it's a new device or a new platform it everything you had you'd learned on ios applied directly to that experience whereas we're gonna have to or apple or and and developers kind of have to teach people how to use it and there is certainly an advantage to there's only so many ways and so many structures that developers have for building apps and so once you learn those You'll know what to look for, and you'll know what little cues on the screen mean. You know what it means when you have four dots at the bottom of the screen, um, or what it means when you, you know, when you push on something and a, but- a bunch of buttons appear. Like that's probably just a helpful thing in terms of trying to get people used to, you know, used to a completely new way of interacting. Mm-hmm. So maybe a couple of years down the road, they can start, you know, removing borders from buttons. And <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. You, you take the training wheels off. Uh, David, what do you think of, uh, you know, uh, all these apps getting approved on the App Store before launch and now Apple uh, starting, you know, to open up some submissions for uh, WatchKit apps today? Uh, what do you think of this, you know, time frame uh, yeah. before the actual release date? I think there's certainly a risk that Apple takes in doing that um, insofar as obviously it you we, we, very few people have spent significant amounts of time with the Apple Watch outside of Apple. And so, you know, a lot of us are just guessing. A lot of us are, and I spent a ter- tremendous amount of time over the last few months working in, you know, the Apple Watch simulator and trying as best as I can to get used to it. Um, but there's certainly a risk in terms of, we, I don't really know what it's going to be like to wear an Apple Watch day in and day out. But I think Apple was exactly right in terms of making sure that there is a rich, vibrant app store as to whatever degree they can get it um, on launch day on uh, in I guess in really many ways getting ready for April 10th when like pre-orders and try on and all that process starts that they're able to show a variety of different experiences and a variety of different apps to people and reviewers and people like that are going to be able to have a full experience because I think the watch in a way that is probably more 
in, in a way that is more significant than your iPhone, the apps that you use and the apps that are useful to you to be on your watch is going to be very personal and very unique to you. Um, you know, in this, in the way that we all, you know, take pictures of our, of our home screens and share them. Like there's a lot of overlap, I think, between those. Whereas I think the watch will probably have a bit more, you know, distinctiveness to it because what's useful to you and what is probably going to be very personal and very, very related to the life you lead and the things you do. Um, and so having the more that they can do to have from the beginning, a comp- you know, being able to show people a comp- compelling experience is helpful you know if all they had were travel related apps if all they had were you know airlines and hotels well if you don't travel that's not very compelling and interesting to you and so the more they can expand that out i think makes sense and you know this process that they're going through now of having the initial batch i think of kind of like the the chosen few who were able to go through um, the process early and then you know a few hours ago they opened it up to the rest of us um to to, to start submitting our apps. I think it's, it makes sense. And, it's, you know, hopefully I imagine they're expecting it that we're going to, you know, in a few, you know, in, in a few weeks when, th- you know, when, when, in, in that big run up, there'll be a lot of apps and I'm sure they'll brag about it. You know, they love saying they still do it with the iPad and I'm sure they'll do it with the, you know, the watch mm-hmm. of, you know, Hey, we have, I don't even know what the number is going to be. We have 10,000 watch apps available on day one. We have 5,000. We have 100,000. I mean, the scale of the app store is insane, so it's hard to predict how many they'll actually be. But I'm sure it's a number that's going to be big, and they're going to be proud of that. And Do you think there's any downside to having all these apps uh, directly at launch? Do you think people can get confused, or do you think it's better for the platform to have all, you know? all this choice uh, right away. I mean, there, there, there's certainly some risk of that. And I think there's also also certainly a risk of, because those, you know, they're, they're, it, would be a bad, it would be bad for Apple if people, you know, downloaded new apps. They're like, oh, let's, I, got, I, got my, I got my new watch. I open it up, you know, I open up my iPhone, browse to the, the watch section, you know, out of the app store, and I get a bunch of apps. And turns out those apps aren't very good. That can hurt the their initial impression of the watch in a way that could be damaging to their experience now, and it's in a way that's outside of their control. Like with the iPhone, when it launched, the advantage Apple had is for the first year, I guess, or plus or minus, the only everyone's experience on the iPhone was entirely curated and guided by Apple. It was only their apps, and it, that was the way it was. And so they could make sure that that was a quality experience. And so I think there's an even higher, um, you know, th- there's an even higher bar that they're probably, I would hope in mm-hmm. some ways that they're going to have to apply. Like the risk that they're trying to mitigate is that people are going to get, you know, get watch apps. If they're not very good, they can, they can associate that with the watch and say, oh, the watch isn't actually as useful as I thought it would be when it's really just the apps that they're using on it aren't quite at the level that they need to be and probably will be down the road. Mm-hmm. What about the the indie developer's point of view? Is it going to be more difficult to stand out on day one on the App Store because of all you know these options? Um, I honestly, it's hard to know. I think the thing that was very encouraging to me on that score is that Apple showed in the keynote, and you know we can see now in eight point two that the Apple Watch app on every iPhone running eight point two or greater, like there's a whole there's a tab that is the app store and as best as i can understand only apps that have been updated to support the apple watch are going to show up there and so for someone like me who looks at the the app store in general with one point who knows whatever it is 1.3 1.4 million apps in it to imagine a world where my apps are competing with probably just a few thousand to start with um, I mean, ex- whether that's 5,000, 10,000, 100,000, I don't really know, but there's probably only going to be a few thousand in there is, you know, that's delightful. That is like when I saw that during the keynote, um, it was a spring forward event. That was amazing to me because that gives me a great opportunity to, sh- you know, to shine because I'm competing with such a smaller pool. And, you know, it sort of reminds me in some ways of the old days of the app store where, 
you know, if you if, if someone goes to that area and opens up a category, there may only be a handful of apps, or if they search for something in it, there's only going to be a handful of apps. And so being discovered in that is much more likely. And so that part of me is excited about it. And I want to be there on day one. You know, I have a bunch of apps that are going to be ready to be out there and to kind of see where that goes. Yeah, the the parallel to the sort of early days of the of the iOS app store definitely comes to mind. And uh, I can't help but think that like, like we were making fun of the Netgear app at the top of the show, like apps like that clearly are never going to have a, a watch interface. Although, Federico, if you can turn your Wi-Fi off on your watch, that's going to open a whole new world of email for me. Never say never. I know. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, for the the type of user who's going to have a watch on day one, I think there's a real opportunity that, you know, say that I use uh, product A, but product B has a watch app and I have a watch, then there might be enough people to start switching between apps. And I think there's this real uh, possibility for disruption in like some like app categories that have been pretty buttoned up for a while. So I think any 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 developer worth their saw, I think is definitely, you know, doing what we're taking time out of your day you know what you'd be doing david uh to, to get there on day one in that small pool and uh, yeah i can't help but think that that could be a, a pretty interesting uh you know break point in the in the history of the app store you know having these things siphoned off into their own little silos is, is something new for apple so i'm excited to see where that where that ends up yeah and i think it's just it's a rare there, there are very, there are increasingly few opportunities like that. You know, more for the independent software developer side of things, where it's, you know, the thing that I have in going in my favor that a lot of a bigger, a bigger software company doesn't is the fact that I can do whatever I want, and I don't need approval. I don't need, you know, a, like a big process to do that. And so, if I just once I decided a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, that like, you know, I'm going to make lots of watch apps. I'm going to focus on it. I'm going to, it's going to be kind of my full time focus for between a, from when WatchKit was announced until now, I'm able to really focus on that and make it happen in a way that, you know, I, I you could imagine that there will be some, some, you know, a variety of my competitors who are more slow moving because they don't, they can't just, you know, they have, they're, have to take a more wait and see approach. They're like, well, are we going to put all this effort into building a watch app? And then if Apple doesn't sell a lot of watches, then, you know, it's not going to work or there's that kind of bureaucracy about it. And so I'm hopeful, you know, fingers crossed that there's going to be a bit of a, a first mover advantage in that way, but you know, who knows? Time will tell. Yeah. Um, let's take a, a quick break and talk about our third sponsor today, which is Wealthfront. Uh, Wealthfront is the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. Wealthfront software manages your money using investment strategies that were previously on, only available to the wealthiest of investors. So not guys like us. Um, for just one quarter of the cost using a traditional advisor, Wealthfront monitors your account 24-7, automatically rebalancing your portfolio, reinvesting dividends, and working to maximize your post-tax returns. Wealthfront is overseen by a team of investment experts, the same experts who launched the index fund revolution and who have written some of the most important books in finance. In case you're still not convinced, you should know that Wealthfront manages over $2 billion in client assets and has saved millions of dollars on taxes for its clients. So with Wealthfront watching over your investments every day, what will you do with all that extra time? Visit Wealthfront.com connected to get your first $10,000 managed for free. Wealthfront Inc. is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wealthfront Brokerage Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risk, and there is a possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure. Yeah, also drink responsibly. It's true. That's also really good advice. So good. Yeah. Man, this is just, we're, we're helping people here on Connected. So, so David, you know, you, you talking about before the break, you know, you sort of made this uh, this deliberate decision to spend time on watch apps uh, because you're a one man band. You know, you get you get to to do that, and um, and so kind of what you know, what have you been learning about WatchKit itself? You know, we talked a little bit about maybe visual consistency, but what should users be expecting as far as types of functionality out out of these apps? So at, at a first glance, it's probably useful to say that there there really are th there's three kinds of watch kit apps that um, developers can make at this point. 
Um, they can make essentially rich or interactive notifications. So you get a notification on your phone, it shows up on your watch, and you can interact with it. Maybe the simple sort of canonical example is you get a meeting invitation and you can accept or decline it. You know, and so it's interactive rather than just telling you something, you can do something with it. The second kind um, are glances, which are little read-only widgets that are available if you swipe up from the clock face um, on the watch. And these are entirely static in terms of they're not interactive. Um, their purpose is just to display you know, in useful information to the user in a way that's sort of in some ways not unlike uh, today widgets um, on the iPhone, um, especially today widgets that aren't, you know, sort of the, the big, you know, like launcher or these things that calls, caused all that controversy in the first place, things that are just, you know, showing you data, they kind of fit into that kind of uh, venue. And then lastly, there are um, sort of watch kit apps, um, which are actual, you know, apps you would launch from your watch's home screen. Um, and these are apps that, you know, you can do a bit more with, that you can make interactive, that can, the user can, you know, ha have a longer um, engagement with. And the thing that probably is important to keep in mind is they, all of these apps run, or at least uh, Glances and WatchKit apps run on your iPhone. And all of the logic, all of the programming and all that heavy work is done on your phone and is being just sort of shipped up to the watch for display. Um, so you can't, there is at this point, no watch kit, no watch, third-party watch apps that will run um, without a connected iPhone, you know, close by. Um, and as a result, you know, there's a lot of limitations that come from that in terms of what I was talking about, you know, the UI consistency and things there. Apple is very, I think in a, in a very intelligently, but very strongly uh, pared down what is possible the types of things that you can do, the types of interactions that you can uh, create um, because everything, you know, you hit a button on your watch, that button press is being sent over Bluetooth to your phone. Your phone is do it, is responding to it, doing whatever it needs to do. And then it sends back to the watch. Hey, as a result of that, you need to update the UI this way, which is a, you know, a, a very disjointed process compared to on an iPhone where obviously, you know, you tap the screen and all of the processing and everything is done entirely locally. And so it's a very, streamlined process that you know isn't rich and graphical and inner fluid in a sort of an interactive way gotcha the um what's what's interesting to me about those three types like you look at that um that website we mentioned earlier with the with all the apps and even look at what you're doing that's not as limiting as it as it seems like you know from the outside and, and maybe your experience is is different but it seems to me at least that I don't know how many users would really realize that that's that it was so limited, you know, because there is there doesn't seem to be flexibility within those constraints. Yes, definitely. I mean, you can. Well, I mean, when I was first speculating, you know, when, after the watch was announced, but before WatchGate was announced, when I was sort of speculating about what I thought they would allow us to do, um, I thought we would be much more limited than we are currently. Like we can build pretty interesting applications that you know, are, can do actual work uh, for, for the user starting on day one before anyone's even seen, you know, and anyone's ever bought a watch. And so that's pretty cool. And I think there are certainly some odd cases, you know, the weird things like if you leave your, your phone in one room and you walk away and you try and use the app, it's not going to work. Um, but beyond those kind of odd edge cases, like the fact that um, it's running on your phone and it has this kind of very streamlined life cycle that it can have, is in some ways just an implementation detail. And most users probably won't know that um, or at least care about that. Um, but I think you're certainly right in that there's not a lot of things that um, I want to do that I can't. Um, mm -hmm. There are a lot of things that I want to do that would be better with a native app that mm -hmm. you could, you know, would be more fluid and more performant and have few weird, you know, sort of performance characteristics. But at, a, at its core, other than things that are offline, sort of in their nature, like say you wanted to you know, play a podcast from your watch, um, that you that kind of thing you can't do now. If it was, you know, now you have to do that kind of thing based on your phone. But beyond those kinds of offline capabilities, there's really not much that you can't do fundamentally. Are there any software features, you know, that, that third-party developers cannot access? Like, can you access the heart rate sensor? Can you 
access the haptic feedback in third-party apps or are those limited to uh, just to Apple software? Probably the, the best way to think about it. And A, well, firstly, you can't access those types of things. And really the best way to think about it is uh, like a watch kit app is really an iPhone app that happens okay. to have a view that's being projected onto the watch. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so there's really no local access or interactivity or things. We don't, you can't make it, you know, the haptics thing, you can't play sounds from the watch. You can't play, I mean, it's unless, yeah, like in watch kit, everything is done from the phone. And, and you just have touch on the watch. Yeah. yeah. The, the only point that I get is when, so, like, I have interactivity when someone taps something, mm. basically. Um, and they, that's really all the interaction I have. Um, and so a lot of things that you're doing, like, you can still make that work. There's a lot of powerful things you can do from your phone. Um, but nothing that's actually just watch specific is probably is going to be available, at least uh, to start with. Mm-hmm. Do you think... WatchKit and this, you know, initial wave of uh, watch apps is the right move from Apple, or, or should have they waited for a native SDK? Uh, do you think it is right to give developers the tools to make, you know, limited apps in a way, and then later update those apps with better features and technologies, or maybe I don't know. I guess we'll know with time. But as a developer, what what's your point of view on these, you know, uh, limitations right now? I mean, I think it's better than the sweet solution we had for the iPhone. Okay. <laughs> which is, I think, the reality that, like, I'm ha- encouraged by. Like, I could, obviously, I always want everything as soon as I can. I want, if I could make native apps for the Apple Watch, and, I, you know, I would have been doing it. I, I would have been all, you know, all in on building native apps. And so I'll take whatever I can get. Um, but I'm very glad that they didn't take an approach that was incredibly limited and incredibly constrained. And I think it's ultimately a strategic move by Apple because they're trying everything they can to, you know, they're in- essentially inventing a, a a new, or they're, they're trying to forge out into a brand new platform in a brand new way and a brand new user base. And so they're needing to make that as compelling as they can. And one of the ways that they can do that is by having third-party apps. And so I think they're trying as far as they can to make rich, compelling third-party apps available from the beginning. And, you know, there's certainly pros and cons in that, that it's a very, the way they're doing it is incredibly elegant insofar as like, it's incredibly battery, um, uh, you know, respectful. Like Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. way in which I can't run any, I'm not running any code on the watch. I don't have the ability to do something that's like going to run down the user's battery in, in many ways. Like all I can do is say, display this text, show this picture. Like I can, there's things that I can do that may in the long term have, you know, slightly, if the user's using the watch all the time and, you know, working with my apps, it's going to use their battery, but it avoids this whole realm of possibilities that truly native applications could, you know, could bring with it. And I think that's really clever and really elegant that, they're finding this interesting way to kind of have a balance between locking it down totally and saying, no, 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 only Apple apps are going to be here. And mm-hmm. the other extreme of saying, you know, anybody can make anything. This kind of balanced middle ground is, I think, very clever and very elegant and accomplishes most of the goals and the advantages that they'd be wanting without a lot of the downside and a lot of the, sort of the problems that either other extreme would, would include. And what have the cons been during your development time? I mean, I think the biggest challenges are because we have, like, there, there are so many things that you are just, I just take for granted on, on you know, work developing for the iPhone. Like, doing an animation, uh, you know, on the iPhone. Like, the iPhone, most, almost every iPhone app, just out of the box, can do so many richly animated and lively and engaging experiences that on the watch are really hard to do um, just because of the way that they're structured and the way that they're, you know, they're running in this strange disconnected, you know, thing where the watch talks to the phone, the phone talks to the watch. And so you don't have the ability to make things quite as fluid in the, in the way that you're used to. And the, so the challenges that I've had is to try and still make, 
you know, compelling, interesting applications in that context um, has been much more difficult. And, you know, I'll run into things where it's like, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could do this? Or it's like, if only I could access more than just when the user pushes a button, you know, what happens when they push their finger down or those types of things, like not having access to that can, you know, is a bit, you know, it's constraining and it's, it's in some ways nice because it focuses the mind and it means that we have to do things and find creative solutions to, you know, the problems we're solving. We can't just sort of do, do the, the easy stuff, but I think the biggest difficulty has just been trying to make apps that are, you know, have that interest and have that, uh, have that degree of polish is a bit more difficult, I think, at least at this point. Yeah, but I mean, I think a good example of of some of that polish. You have a post up on your site about uh, Pedometer Plus Plus, and you're talking about you know different ways that you could display the users, uh, you know, their their goal and where they are, you know, in your in your step counting application and. I really find, you know, the second animation you have, you know, the bars kind of coming from the bottom and they're very playful yeah. and, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's crazy to me reading this, you know, how you're doing it, that it, it's all getting <laughs> pushed as a series of images basically from, from a phone. <laughs> um, it's crazy. Yeah. but, uh, I think that level of like playfulness and, and sort of like just little polished touches are going to, as important as they are on iOS, I think they're going to be so much more important on the watch because it's so small because you know, you're only using it for a couple of seconds at a time. And so it kind of, it's kind of like each, each view, each interaction really counts much more, I think than on an iOS app. Um, sort of, you know, how has it been, you know, kind of working on those limitations in something like animation or, you know, being able to polish something with, you know, a simpler set of tools than, than you have on, on the phone. Yeah, it's, there's definitely a, strange a, a strange mentality that you have to get into i found when you're working on watch apps because in many for most apps your goal is to minimize the time that the user will be looking at your app or at least making it so that the app is immediately useful um, in a way that if they only opened the app for a second or two it would still have been a meaningful interaction mm-hmm. in some ways and that, I think, is an interesting challenge from a design perspective because you have to, you can't be lazy in a way that you can often get away with. You know, if you're developing an app for, you know, a, a, say a 6 Plus, like it, it, you have a tremendous amount of information that you can just sort of throw on the screen and let the user have to kind of wade their way through it. Or you can just throw lots of buttons on the screen and, um, you know, they can find what they want to use, like you have such a tiny amount of space and you have such a tiny amount of the user's attention because the expectation and the, you know, the way all of the Apple's guidelines around this tend to be, you know, driving you towards is that your, your users are expected to only interact with your application for seconds at a time. And so it's really complicated to make sure that you're able to really make, make that impact in that short amount of time. And you're, you've boiled down the utility of what you're doing to those just bare essentials um, that are, you know, are, are useful. It's still useful. It's still, you know, it's still actually solving a problem or meeting a need, um, but it's doing it in a way that the, it only takes two seconds. And that certainly is a different mindset that you have to get into. Um, and it's especially kind of odd in some ways coming from the, la- you know, this over the last summer where all the phones got bigger and bigger. And so suddenly I was trying to deal with the problem of like, what do I do with all this extra space? Now you're instead going the complete opposite direction and saying, what do you do when you have a display that is maybe a quarter of the original of like a, you know, an iPhone four screen or something like that? You know, it's a really small amount of data that you have uh, to work with. Right. And kind of the, the flip side is, you know, I think when I think about how I might use it, it's it's when I'm walking, when I'm doing something else with my hands, something comes in, and I don't want to have to wait, right, for like someone's cute animation to finish. So I think that balance is going to be um, something that I think a lot of developers are going to have to tweak as time goes on, as as you know, expectations shift around that use case, and, and you know, maybe it is that we're going to be using these for five or ten seconds as opposed to two or three seconds the way we think now. So I think it'll be. You know, I think there'll be an evolution there, maybe as as 
people kind of settle into to usage uh, usage habits. Um, so kind of to to head towards wrapping up. Um, what you know, David? What specifically are you working on that you you know would like to share? I know you've written a lot about this. You know, what kind of out of your library of apps has you excited about about the watch? Sure. So I'm I have a a watch kit uh, you know, update for most of my of my major apps. You know, so I have I have you know for my recipe organizer, my recipe book. I have a thing for managing your grocery list from your from your wrist, which seemed the most sort of compelling thing for for me to be able to just you imagine walking through a store, and you know you can check things off and add things to a list just from your wrist. You know, I have um, some audio-based things. I have a podcast client and an audiobook client. And for them, it's about being able to, you know, navigate around either what you're listening to, you know, in terms of, you know, skipping ahead, skipping back, or switching to something else all without having to, you know, get your phone out. Um, or, you know, I have a feed reader, uh, feed wrangler, which for there, it's trying to be able to, you know, quickly browse headlines and articles and, you know, just with doing that with in a context where you can just pick up, you know, raise your wrist, flip up the glance and, you know, see what's going on. Um, and if, you know, with pedometer, it's, you know, taking your current step, step count data and, and moving it onto your wrist and displaying it in a way that, you know, it's just even easier to see and to see where you are and to see, you know, how active you've been. Um, you know, that in some ways it was easier for my existing apps to just kind of look at them and say, how would this be, better on a watch and then you know for a bunch of other apps things that i'm not quite at the point of announcing yet um that are other apps that i've been working on that are just trying to think through things that i think would be cool and just you know starting from the ground up and building new apps for that and um you know we've talked a lot about uh, the last couple of weeks about the watch you know specifically you know which one we're looking at purchasing kind of how our friends and family view it you know as you've been working on this, what's the feedback been like from people? Um, you know, do do friends and family kind of kind of look at you and and you know and look at the watch and sort of you know shake their head, or or are people generally excited about it that you've come across? I think the most interesting thing that I've run into when I talk to like friends and family, sort of people who aren't in the you know the the, the iOS development world, is that everybody's interest in the watch is different and they have very different motivations and reasons for why they think it would be cool um and for some people it's about fitness for some people it's about messaging for some people it's about notifications um for some people it's about you know business stuff and calendaring and for travel like there's everyone i've talked to seems to have a very a very unique picture of when when you when they imagine what having you know it's like and i tend to describe it as sort of like it's a very it's kind of like like squeezing down an iphone and putting it on your wrist which is only sort of right but it's it's much more easy to explain it that way than um to kind of really get into what it is um everyone puts a different thing onto it like i know my wife is most excited about the fitness stuff like she current you know she wears uh, a jawbone up band but there's a lot of things about it that drive her crazy and she'd love to have something that can track her workouts and to have a more you know sort of integrated version of it um, that she can wear all the time that's fashionable enough to to do in that way but that's different than other people i know who when they think about it they're like man i just i like they you know they see the this all the silly you know connectivity and messaging types of things where you know you can draw pictures to each other or tap you know tap your loved one on the wrist and that's what's compelling to them and what's interesting about that is i don't i i really think it is everyone's going to be different and everyone has a different reason for why they might want one. And so in some ways that's kind of a, I'm sure, I'm sure Apple has, a, you know, has their work cut out in terms of it's harder to have a compelling narrative about that or a straightforward narrative anyway of like, you need an Apple watch because of X, mm-hmm. because that's going to be different for everybody. Right. And the thing that's going to resonate with them is going to be different. And so they're having to find, you know, they're, you can see it even in their marketing, like they're going in all these different directions um, to try and make sure that people understand like, oh, it can do this and it can do this and it can do this. And you can find whichever one of those fits for you. Right. And, you know, even thinking back, you know, Apple had this uh, back in 2007, a series of advertisements, you know, there were TV ads here in the States and 
it was, you know, maybe 30 seconds of just the mail application, right? So you just saw an iPhone and then like floating dismembered hand doing email or in maps or in Safari, making a phone call. You know, we've even talked about it here where that, that idea that the marketing seems really scattershot, you know, it's worrisome to some people. But the more I think about it and the longer this goes on, it really is like the original iPhone where... It, they had to explain that, you know, this this isn't like a, just a regular phone with an iPod tape to it. It does all these other things. And some people are going to be really excited about email. Some people are going to be really excited about Safari. And they had to tell that story sort of in a, in a pattern, like blending all these things together with, with the phone. And you know, now it's only more complicated because we all know how smartphones work, right? So they have to explain, like you said, it's it's like squeezing an iPhone down, but it's really not like that at all. And it does all these different things. And I'm not nearly as worried about like the marketing or like Apple's narrative around it as I was before the spring event. And even in the couple of weeks since I feel like they're doing what they need to do and, and that that's okay, that there are people who are going to be really interested in it for very different reasons. And I think that's, I think long-term that's great because they can hit all those audiences and that's, you know, a bigger, a bigger usage base for, you know, developers, a bigger, obviously bigger customer base for Apple's good as well. But, uh, yeah, I think I think that's really uh, really well said. What's your reason, David, to get a watch besides you know making apps? The things that I'm most excited about and looking forward to, I think, are and it's probably for, sorry for to say, take a step back and say, as soon as they announced the Apple Watch, I went and got a bunch of different wearable type of things, and then but the thing that's mm-hmm. closest to an Apple Watch that I got was a a, a Microsoft Band, yeah. um, which you know is is a reasonable device, but nothing special. Um, and the things that I found that were most compelling to me were the the messaging side of things. So like being able to be, to n- never miss a notification. You know, if, if a notification comes in, like I have very few notifications turned on on my phone. Like if my phone buzzes, it's because one of my servers exploded or because, you know, someone, someone I care about is trying to get a hold of me. And so I loved that I finally, like the feeling of not never ha- not having to worry about missing those was just really reassuring. And I think it helped me to use my phone less uh, because or I didn't have to, I didn't constantly pick it up and just, you know, wake the screen to see if there was any missed notifications. Um, and so that kind of thing that, they, that the watch can do in a way that's way more, you know, deep and rich um, than anything, you know, a Microsoft Band or Pebble or anything can do because it's, you know, it's built into the core OS. Like that thing, I th- that side of things I think is very compelling to me. And then I'm excited about, I mean, I've, I've since I've started wearing all these bands, like the, the fitness tracking side of it is very compelling to me. I enjoy having the, like a picture of what I'm doing you know, when I work out, seeing my heart rate, seeing how hard I worked out, you know, in the middle of a workout, looking down and seeing like, am I really working out or I just feel like I'm working out um, and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so those are the, those two things are what I'm looking forward to most. Nice. You have a model picked out? Well, I have the I can cheat a little bit because I'm a developer. It's like I, I'm just gonna I'm buying t- one of each uh, size, <laughs> um, not of each not of each uh, model, but of, of each size. <laughs> right. um, and then I'm I'm probably just gonna get the ones that looks best to me is the I'll probably get a black um, sport in uh, you know the 38 and the 42. Um, gotcha. Just because I I it, I mean that's the funny thing too. Being a developer is I I will probably own you know, several like dozen Apple watches over, over the course of the next few years. And mm-hmm. so like, it's easy, it's easy for me to say, like, I'm probably just going to get the sport because it's a little bit less, but that little bit of difference will add up over the years. You know, at this point, I think, you know, it's like, I own, you know, a dozen iPhones and right. <laughs> it's like a lot of times for, for an iPhone, I get, you know, I get smaller capacities than I would otherwise, because I know I'm only going to use it for a year and then, I'll get a new one. And so I don't have quite the same problem of, you know, having years and years of photos building up or, or those kinds of things. And so I'm just going to get, you know, a pair of sports. I'll, at this point, I expect to, you know, pre-order them as, as soon as I can, you know, if I have to wait up till three in the morning to do that um, or, or however they, they manage pre-orders and then just, you know, see, see them and go from there. Yeah, maybe in a few years, you'll, you'll have your entire arm full of watches. It'll be like the Robocop of Apple Watch users. Exactly. <laughs> Just keep wearing watches on your, your entire arm. And I mean, yeah, um, it makes sense, I guess, from a developer's perspective to have, you know, 
<laughs> better access to as many units as possible. I was kind of wishing you would say you're getting all the addition models. Um, I'm wishing you all the success on the App Store, David. Yeah. So well, you'll be able to, to buy addition test units. <laughs> well, let's, let's put it this way. If, if my watch apps do just wildly, just, you know, wildly well... Maybe maybe that's the, that then I'll be able to you know to afford an addition and I can go in and use my watch money to buy my you know to buy a watch and <laughs> Apple can just complete the cycle there and it's like the money they give me just goes right back into them and maybe yeah. that's that, that when they, when they say it's a gold rush you know that kind of thing <laughs> it's like it's 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 it, the, the goal is actually to get gold at the end of it <laughs> wow <laughs> well uh, David thank you so much for uh, for coming on today where could uh, where could people find you on the internet. Sure. I'm uh, underscore David Smith on Twitter, and uh, you can find me. I have a blog at david-smith.org, um, which has a bunch of writing, including all my watch kit series. Awesome. Um, so thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want to find show notes uh, this week, you can point your browser to relay.fm slash connected slash 33. You can find Federico Vitici at the uh, the glorious maxstories.net and uh, Vitici on Twitter. You can find me at 512pixels.net and ISMH on Twitter. Uh, until next time, uh, say goodbye, gentlemen. Arrivederci. Goodbye. <laughs>